The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show today will include Chris Cooley. He's coming up shortly. He did film breakdowns of Emmanuel Forbes and their second-round pick, Quan Martin. So uh, we'll get to Cooley in the next segment, uh, and you'll hear his discussion of both of those players. And he'll do some of the other players, I think, for next week. Uh, but Cooley coming up in the next segment. The show today presented by my bookie this weekend the UFC bantamweight champion goes head to head with one of the most decorated combat athletes of all time in the main event at UFC 288 my bookie had the matchup between Sahedo and Sterling as a near coin flip but most of the early money came in on Sterling if you're asking yourself why you should choose my bookie over the competition it's simple they're gonna, they're going to give you the best bang for your buck period. You can score huge wins on boosted odds with MyBookie, uh, with actually the MyBookie money bag, or you can take advantage of every momentum swing with in-match live betting. Uh, Sign up today, bet with house money. Just click on to the promo section and put my Kevin DC in the promo section to grab yourself a welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Uh, just a reminder to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Big help when you do that. Following us is a huge help uh, as well. On Apple, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, you can follow us uh, by hitting the follow button in the upper right-hand corner. Uh, on Spotify, it's about midway down the left-hand side of the show. Uh, by the way, um, from DND uh, via the Apple Podcast Review, Listen to the show from Cumberland, Maryland. Love the show. Can we please get Tim Legler on the show more to talk commanders and playoffs? Uh, well, uh, I'm going to try to get Tim on the show soon. I actually talked to him the other night for a while. Uh, we were talking about the NBA playoffs, and we were talking about the draft um, that Washington had just uh, finished, and uh, he promised me that he would be available. So uh, we'll shoot probably for next week, maybe the end of this week, Um but, yeah, I love Legler. I don't think anybody is better on the analysis of games than Legler. I've said this many times. There are so many NBA analysts on 
ESPN. Legler's the best for me. One of the reasons I feel that way is that Legler's a coach. You know, he played in the league, obviously, but that was a long time ago. But he has stayed in the game, and he coaches. And there's just a lot that's different now from when some of the guys who played the game played the game. Things are different. Uh, but I love Legler, so um, look for him on a show soon. And typically we spend <laughs> – he joked to me the other night, he said, I'll come on, but can we do at least more than five minutes on the NBA after doing nearly an hour on the Commanders? And I said, well, that's your call. Uh, you're the one that wants to talk more about the football team uh, than the NBA. Uh, yeah, Tim is a huge Skins fan, always has been, uh, and still goes to most of the games, which is amazing. Uh, don't forget to rate us, review us, and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and any other place that gives you an opportunity to do that. Speaking of Legler and the NBA, wow, what a game last night between the Warriors and the uh, Lakers. Game one goes to L.A. 117-112. to I mean, if Tommy stayed up to watch this game, um, I can hear him right now. I haven't talked to him. They're shooting too many threes! Uh, and yeah, Golden State shot 53 three-pointers. Made 21 of them, 39.6%. It's what kept him in the game. Look, um, I talked about this series, and I picked the Warriors in seven, but I said the key to the series would be Anthony Davis. If Anthony Davis is consistent you know, at his best, which means super high level, like last night, where he scored 30 on 11 of 19 from the floor, 8 of 8 from the free throw line, and had 20 three rebounds and four block shots, then the Lakers aren't going to lose to the Warriors because they don't have anybody that can match up to Davis. They're they're one size guys, Kavon Looney, and he's a really exceptional player, but he is too slow footed. Uh, to guard Anthony Davis. But the thing with Davis is he gets hurt. He's inconsistent. He's capable in game two of throwing up, you know, 10 points and seven rebounds. But if he plays like he did last night for at least five games, maybe they the Warriors could win one or two with him playing that way. Um, but if he plays for five or six that way, I think the Lakers are going to win the series. I guess I have, I'm not changing my mind. My pick is still the Warriors. They have a championship pedigree, obviously. Um, and we saw last night with them down 14. If you weren't watching the game, uh, they were down 14 late in the fourth quarter, uh, and they went on an incredible 14 to nothing run um, over the final five and a half minutes to tie the game at 112 on an impossible Curry uh, three pointer. And by the time you got to that moment when Curry made the three that tied the game with about a minute and a half to go, you could see both teams were exhausted. The Lakers barely subbed in the fourth quarter. Golden State had the seventh game on Sunday at Sacramento, um, and it was like they were barely breathing coming across the finish line of that game. And um, on the next possession, D'Angelo Russell, who played well, I thought he played really well for the Lakers, you know, got to the rim for an easy layup. It looked like, you know, the last three by the Warriors was like was like that their last gasp. 
Um, and then, uh, so the Lakers ended up scoring the last five points of the game, one one seventeen, one twelve. At one fifteen, one twelve, Golden State had an opportunity to tie, and Jordan Poole missed a twenty-seven foot three-point shot, and he was being hammered for that uh, shot attempt. That it was too far; he should have gotten closer. I don't know, man. He had made a bunch of threes from length, and I, I think you know if he you know, shows the ball on a on a shot fake and then gets inside the defender. I think the defense closes on him and maybe he doesn't have as much of a chance. Maybe it sets up a pass to a Clay or a Steph. In the game last night, by the way, something happened that had never happened in a playoff game in NBA history. Three players from the same team made six three-pointers. Jordan Poole was six of 11. Steph Curry was 6 of 13, and Klay Thompson was 6 of 16. Incredible. Um, just an absolutely breathless and breathtaking uh, game. Uh, it was really something else uh, to watch. And if the series is like that uh, and it goes six or seven games, it's going to be incredible. It didn't seem like the guys had a lot left. Uh, in the first game last night, the Knicks were in deep trouble against the Heat without Jimmy Butler. Uh, they won the game. Um, man, is Spolstra a great coach. Uh, the fact that they were up in that game in the fourth quarter on the road in a game that the Knicks had to have after losing game one and the best player on the floor was out with the rolled ankle, Jimmy Butler, and they were life and death with the Heat there, um, that's a good sign for the Heat. Uh, the Knicks are good. Jalen Brunson came up so big. So did Josh Hart, who played at Sidwell Friends here locally. I saw him play three or four times at least in high school. Um, and he... Uh, he had a really big time, uh, sh- sh- uh, two shots in the fourth quarter, uh, corner threes for the Knicks that were big. So the Knicks win that game to even up that series at a game apiece. Um, I wanted to mention before we get to Cooley that Tommy and I talked yesterday about what Mike Jones had told me on the radio show yesterday about Washington having uh, expressed interest, according to people around the league. Uh, about moving up in the draft last Thursday night in the first round to the number seven spot, the Raiders spot. And presumably it was to take Anthony Richardson. And I told um, you know all of you with Tommy yesterday that Mike Jones had had mentioned that to me on the radio show. And remember, that was, you know, uh, there was some uh, discussion about Washington's interest in Anthony Richardson when Albert Breer reported before the draft, or I think I think it was the day before the draft, that Marty Herney uh, was very high and was advocating, uh, was very high on Richardson and was advocating for Richardson in the building. Now, I told you that once I, once that happened, I was going to get pushback um, and that, you know, the team would push back on it to a certain degree, or I would get pushed back from, you know, somebody that uh, I talked to um, that kind of knows what's going on with the team, um, and that they would deny that because they've got their quarterback room. It's Sam Howell and it's Jacoby Brissett. They don't need to look for another quarterback. I would have applauded it had they done it, and I applaud it that if they were actually looking. But I did talk to somebody that I'll just say, you know, uh, is close to that particular situation from a team's standpoint. And they said no chance were they going to trade up to number seven for Anthony Richardson or trade up to seven at all, that that was not uh, the case. Now, what they didn't say is that they didn't say to somebody or put some 
you know, feelers out there to, to try to generate, I don't know what, I mean, many of you thought this may have been a smokescreen to begin with. I don't know how them picking at 16 and, you know, having it out there that they're interested in moving up would help them at all. But anyway, uh, I wanted to update that, uh, part of, of, uh, what, what I had gotten from somebody unsolicited, uh, after the show yesterday. Um, one more thing before we get to Cooley. So uh, Mark Maskey and Nikki Javala had a story last night in the Washington Post titled, NFL is talking with Daniel Snyder reps. Sale approval could come in stages. I'm going to read from this story. The NFL is engaged in discussions with representatives of the Washington Commanders and owner Daniel Snyder, and it appears increasingly probable the next step in approving Snyder's pending sale of the commanders to Josh Harris will be a conditional approval that is atypical in such transactions, three people with direct knowledge of the NFL's inner workings in the sale process said. Such a step could come as soon as this month. Conditional approval, um, that's an atypical step. That's the next one. Conditional approval means that it's, you know, it's a condition that some sort of condition needs to be met before there is total approval. So let me continue to read from this story. Final ratification of Harris's tentative $6.05 billion deal to purchase the commanders would be contingent upon several issues being resolved, according to those people who spoke on the condition of anonymity because of the confidentiality of the sale and the approval process. They cautioned that the timing of a ratification process arriving in such stages is fluid and depends largely on the progress of the discussions with Snyder's representatives. Nonetheless, such conditional approval would represent a significant step toward Harris taking control of the team and Snyder exiting the NFL. A little bit more from this story. Uh, The sale is taking place with Snyder and the commanders being investigated by the NFL for a second time. Snyder and the team are also facing a federal investigation in the Eastern District of Virginia. The commanders reached settlements with attorneys general of D.C. and Maryland over allegations of improperly withholding deposits from ticket holders without admitting to the allegations. The attorney general in Virginia also is investigating the team. The NFL's current investigation of Snyder and the commanders is being conducted by attorney Mary Jo White. You know, we know the Mary Jo White investigation. Snyder declined to meet with White, and this was a report the Post had back in March. White was expected to to make at least one more attempt before completing her investigation to interview Snyder, according to um, uh, people in the know. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said the league will release White's findings publicly, even if Snyder sells the team. It is not known to what extent the Harris Group might indemnify Snyder against legal liability and costs as part of a tentative sale agreement. Since February, multiple people with direct knowledge, direct knowledge of the league's inner workings have said Snyder was seeking such indemnification from a buyer or from the league and other owners. Uh, The commander said in February that such depictions were inaccurate. So what does all of this mean? Um... I mentioned last week that as of now, the process has been called awkward, unusual, in this story, atypical. Um, And the reason the process of selling this team is unusual, awkward, and atypical is Snyder. It's Dan. 
And in my opinion, uh, based on the people that I have talked to, there is no issue with Harris and the league. There is no issue really with Harris and Snyder. Right now, the bump in the road, I won't call it a bottleneck as I did last week, the bump in the road is that Snyder and the league have to get things resolved, as this story said and as a story last week said. What needs to be resolved? Well, you know, there is mention of the Mary Jo White investigation. Does Snyder want the league to commit to not putting out the results of the Mary Jo White investigation before he moves on? He might want that. Want that. Will the league actually... Uh, agree not to put it out since he won't be the owner of the team? I don't think so. They have made it very clear that they will be transparent with that uh, report. Um, Is there something else that he's concerned with? Is he even concerned about the Mary Jo White investigation? Um, Does he want total indemnification from any kind of legal cost or legal situation involving the actual league with, you know, concussion issues or, you know, the Brian Flores stuff or any, uh, anything, or, you know, some of the stuff that's still hanging out there on their team. That's what's right now, you know, being, discussed and I guess perhaps negotiated. Remember, we had one league owner that said, I think to Mark Maskey, he wants indemnification. We should be getting indemnification from him. I think Snyder is looking for one last pound of flesh on his way out because he doesn't want to go. He doesn't have a choice, but he doesn't really want to go. Uh, And, you know, he's got to go for a lot of reasons, financial. I mean, there's no turning back now. If he were to turn back now, first of all, he might get voted out. Secondly, the bottom line is there would be nobody at the games next year if Snyder still owned the team. I mean, Jason Wright is out there right now. He was on CNBC the other day talking about how glorious it is now for their business that Snyder's gone. Like, he's really publicly talking about how great it is that Snyder sold this team for the business of the team. He's not wrong. I'm a little bit surprised that he's so gleeful in his discussion of it. Um, I'm sure Dan and Tanya aren't thrilled, but whatever. He's not lying. I don't know how much better it is for business. He talked about sweet sales being up significantly just on the news that Snyder um, had sold. Um, I don't know what that means. Does that mean they haven't? Does that mean they haven't leased a suite in four years and they leased two of them or one of them? I don't know. Um, but I wouldn't be concerned. I'm, I, I'm. I went through this story because I. This is where we are. It may not get fully done until sometime this summer. You know, it may get this, you know, as the post is laying out in stages, you know, this conditional approval and then maybe a finance committee approval. The the finance committee, I think, meets a week from today. Um, And then, you know, they'll wait for the Dan issues to get resolved. Hopefully they will. And then they'll send it to league vote. But awkward, unusual, atypical. (laughs) I mean, it was predictable with Snyder. Selling the team. Chris Cooley next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Cooley is with us uh, today. He did some film breakdown of Emmanuel Forbes and Quan Martin, Washington's first two selections uh, in advance. Thank you for doing this. I know you are busy these days, uh, so we all appreciate it. Thank you so much. How are you? Pretty good, Kev. <laughs> Don't get your hopes up too much. It's not like I watched 22 hours of film. So, Well, I mean, if it's just two hours of film, that's plenty. No, I was just saying, it's, it's, I always find it interesting when you watch DBs play on film anyways. And where you grade and evaluate, it's one of the toughest positions, in my opinion, to evaluate when you don't know the scheme or the system or how they're passing coverages or what they're moving with coverages. And you know what I mean? You can evaluate the fluidity of guys, but you can sit and say, "Man, this guy—he's a—he guesses and he does—he does things where you, you can get beat deep." And the the answer to that could be. Well, this defense is playing him off and they got help over the top or they, you know, he's jumping something cause he's got help inside. And so I think it's interesting with DBs and, and it's also like a good DB. You're going to evaluate like four throws at him the entire game. Like, cool. They didn't, they didn't throw at him. It must be good. So I, I think, I don't know. I think it's an interesting position. It's, it's not an exciting position to watch, but, when you get the right dudes there, it's a big deal. I have thought, and maybe it's because this is something that you've told me before, I don't know. I've always felt like defensive backs and offensive linemen, for people that are just fans, it's the hardest area to evaluate. First of all, offensive line play is, you know, there are five of them. You don't know what their responsibilities are unless you really played the game and played the position or were around the game and around the position. You don't know really good technique versus bad technique. And with DBs, like you said, so much of it is like when you watch a game, it's like you've taught us in the past. Like, yeah, it looked like he got beat, but actually that wasn't his responsibility. He had underneath, the safety had deep coverage, or whatever it is. And unless you really know what the responsibility is, it's kind of hard to evaluate. But you know the scheme Washington plays, you know, heavier on zone, heavier on, you know, sub packages with five DBs, one of them playing in the boxes, that Buffalo nickel, playing a lot of zone match um so tell us what you think about Forbes and then we'll do Quan Martin after that I know you've got two guys done yeah I like Forbes a lot I I, I, first of all if you really want to start thinking about like evaluating winning football games changing football games take a dude that has the most pick sixes in FBS history right like you know 
Ah uh, man, he is going to struggle a little bit when it comes up when it comes to coming up and tackling running backs, and he's going to struggle a little bit when it when it comes to getting off some of the blocks. But you know, he has a pick six every third week. <laughs> okay, well, there's trade offs to do, and there the one thing like you can be technically sound in a lot of ways, you can be good in a lot of ways, but you're not a playmaker, and that's. That changes things completely. It's a dynamic change when a dude is a playmaker. He has that innate instinct to, to make big plays. And that's one thing that you see and is immediately evident with Forbes is, is all these big-time picks. Now, a lot of them, when you watch, if you go watch the highlight film, they're screen. Like, he's jumping the receiver screen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he's got like he, he's he's pre-snap. He's seen something. He has good instincts. He understands it, and he's jumping a, a slip screen. And, and when you jump a slip screen, it, there's nobody there. Like you're out in, in in space, and there's nobody there. Uh, and so the, the thing I you look at too when you see Forbes is like, man, his return skills, return abilities, awesome. Yeah, he can run 50 yards with nobody around him damn good. He's pretty fast. You know what I mean? Like, he had a pick six where the receiver kicked the ball up in the air. He <laughs> maybe two dudes and was gone, and you're like, that, good. they are good return skills. Yeah, right. There, like, were, there were a couple of those. Punt pi- yeah. yeah. If he returns a punt and it takes it to the house and – like spin moves twice and stiff arms. So yeah, then you're like, wow, return skills. Uh, but that said, I I do really like his playmaking still skills, and I, I like his ability to play on the other side of the line of scrimmage. So I mean, I like a couple things. Like athleticism. What do you run a four three something? Yeah, four three five. I think. So, so he's got unbelievable speed. I mean, four three is super duper fast. Like that's obviously impressive. Um, I he's not big. I I'll tell you that listed at one sixty six is what he weighed in at the combine. Well, that's been the the one knock is that he weighed in at the combine at one hundred and sixty six pounds, the lowest for any cornerback taken in the first round since two thousand. He's six one. <clears throat> the, the thing with that is. Is it really that hard to get the dude some creatine and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? <laughs> like, I mean, is his metabolism so unbelievably high that we can't put what, 15 pounds on him in, in a year? I'm sure Mississippi State, anybody that coached there is listening to this, and they're like, yeah, you can't. You can't do it, Cooley. He's not going to gain any weight. We tried that for four years or three years. He came out a year early. <laughs> but the, like he'll struggle some. I mean, it, like it's not like he's not physical. He can play physical, but th- there are times like he knows where to fit in. Like if he if he can create an open shot at a ball carrier, he'll go take it and he'll go take it at the legs or he'll dive in there and he'll straight line to it. But when there's dudes coming at him, he's like, yeah, no, I'm going to make sure that this doesn't get past me. Like he did make a business business decision. Some of the run game stuff. What uh, but again? Like I don't like go crazy with caring about that. What what's um, what what is the cons- you, you you watched him and and I saw the same thing. He's a willing tackler. 
He's not a bad tackler. He's not fearful. He never got hurt in the SEC against some big backs and big receivers. Is there like a magic number that should be the least amount that a cornerback should weigh? I don't think so. 166? (laughs) Is that a pretty good number? (laughs) I mean... 165. Let's put it at 165. Let's give him some leeway. Um, yeah, we'll give him a little leeway. I, but the thing is, is the thing that makes it tough in, when it gets to the next level is not just it's not just making some of the tackles. It's that you you don't have receivers very often that weigh 175 or 108. Like the receivers are bigger. Yeah. Then you start getting these dudes out in space that can block him, and it's he doesn't have a, a, a great block shit ability. When dudes get their hands on him, he's getting blocked. They block him. Now, he has a good avoid, but I wouldn't say he's just out there yanking dudes around, shedding blocks. Like, he's got to avoid blocks. So, you're, and you're, it only gets harder because it's such a demand for receivers to block in the NFL. And, and they will. And he's going to get blocked. And he's going to have to find a way to get off some of those things. Again, I don't take that as like a true, it's a negative, but it doesn't, it's not a deal breaker for me. I'd much rather have a guy that can cover than a guy that can shed blocks. It's just one of the things you know. Right. Um, the, the positives. Kev, you mentioned, I mentioned, you just don't get playmakers. And you don't. It's, a hard, it's one of the hardest traits to find, in my opinion. Especially on defense. And he is one. But it's because he, he has really good instincts. He sees things really well, and and he jumps throws really well. And it's not just the underneath throws. And yeah, again, if you watch his highlights, like his picks, his picks are not just break on ball on a on a post downfield. Or I mean, there, there's some bounce around, kick a ball around picks here and there. Right. So it, it's not 14 stud interceptions, but he made plays. He's there in the right place at the right time, and that's because he's instinctual. And his pre-snap recognition seems to be really good. His off-zone coverage, I really like. I think he plays with good hips and he plays with good vision to the quarterback and is able to jump things when the quarterback turns to make a read or a throw to the receiver that Forbes is working on. I think he's capable of jumping stuff in that fashion. And then when you talk about all the things he jumps, though, like I'm sitting here thinking as an offensive guy, like, okay, well, he's going to jump hitch after hitch after hitch. And so we're going to double move him to that. Right. And, and, yeah, there's some potential that he overcommits to things. Are you sure? Like, there's some stuff I'd attack him deeper vertically down the field. Now, his recovery speed's pretty good, but he wants – he's waiting for that break point at – five yards, he's waiting for a break point at 10 yards, and he is not, but he is committed to jumping and attacking a throw at certain break points, and then instead of just staying in a backpedal, he's going to have to turn and run, and that's what he does. It's just his turn and run speed's good. My, my last concern with Forbes, though, is on some of the turn and run stuff, or when they pass a break point, and I think you understand what I mean. Like, there's 15 routes in a route tree that break it five yards. There's a bunch of them that break it eight. 12 to 14 is another very common route breaking point. Like, 
low-level throws, medium-level throws, and deep throws. And those breakpoints, DBs have a sense for that. Right. It's not – he'll get in trouble with it, but where I think he can get in trouble in the NFL, and, and this is oh, it's every DB, he gets super handsy. Like, you can't touch him, guy. It's super handsy. And so he, he, you'll potentially get some defensive holding stuff or he's handsy and grabby. But that's it. I mean, as far as a guy that can just run, cover, play outside, oh, he can press. I, I do like him in press. Even for a smaller guy, I like him in press. Um, he can press. He can run. He's got good hips. He's in cover. He's an outside guy. He is an outside guy, right? That that's obvious. He's not. He's not. Yeah. An, he's not a, a a slot corner. I don't think so. Yeah. I think he's an outside guy right now. It'd be interesting what they do. I mean, what do you go? St. Juice is CB one. Forbes is CB two, or do you just stay side one side? I mean, they like to stay on one side a lot, even though they've done some things where guys have moved around. Well, I think the interesting thing will be, you know, if you. If you think, and I, I agree with you, that Forbes is an outside guy, um, is Fuller or St. Juice the leading candidate to to kind of move inside um, and cover the slot? They've both done it. I mean, the, the decision when they signed William Jackson was to have St. Juice do it, la- you know, before they got rid of Jackson, and then they moved St. Juice, who's six foot three, to the outside, and you know they used Danny Johnson and they used you know other people. Bobby McCain and others, um, you know, on on the slot. I mean, Fuller did it obviously back in 2017 before he left to go to Kansas City. But I mentioned this to somebody the other day, and I'm wondering what you think. Fuller's entering a contract year. Do you think he wants to be, you know, uh, a free agent at the end of next year as a guy who played in the slot all year, or a guy who was successful on the outside? You still have to be successful on the outside. Look at last year and. There's not a ton of games there where I would think it was great success. I thought he struggled quite a bit on the outside last year. My point is, if you're trying to maximize your your I value, yeah, I, I mean, you'd rather you're if you played. I mean, outside corners that can really man up and play, you know, on the outside get paid more typically than slot guys do. But anyway, yeah, I know, I, and it's. It's, it, no, it, it's true. It's actually, it, it is true, and it's actually really interesting. Uh, like I just don't you get the sense, like, yeah, we want to make sure we don't give the big time receiver the big time play, and uh, you know, probably half the teams have one of those dudes. But God, don't you want to cover inside? <laughs> it's like, it's, or it's, it's weird that it's not as important. If that makes any right. sense, right? Well, I mean, it's. Yeah. I was thinking about that today. Because I mean. We're going to talk about Martin and, like, oh, versatility to play inside. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's if he's taking Bobby McCain's spot, maybe that's what will end up happening. But I have a, I have a couple of, of questions. Are you done with Forbes, or, or do you have more before I get to a couple of questions? Um, I just don't. I, I know they wanted that guy. I know that it wasn't Gonzalez that they liked. Gonzalez was higher, I think, on a on a couple people's boards. But I don't really care that much about that. If if you if you know you're going outside corner and you like one of them more, I, like I don't. It's hard to say when Forbes would have went, but they I, 
did you think it was early? Are you asking me? Yeah. No. Uh, I think that, uh, I mean, I liked Gonzalez a lot. He, I liked him more than the guy Witherspoon, who was the first corner taken at number five. Um, I didn't think Gonzalez would be there. So when they were both on the clock, I was, uh, I, I, you know, I kind of thought that they would go Forbes. And I, I really liked watching Forbes before the draft. But again, like what you just said, to me, it's like they understand what they want to do. They understand what they need. They've done the interviews. They know the players. And I think what you've spoken to, too, is something that Smoot said on, on Friday's <laughs> podcast, is that this guy really studies. He's really a student of the game. You can see that with the way he plays, the way he sniffs things out. Like He understands routes, like you said, and route combinations. Um, and look, this was a team that was 26th in takeaways last year, 28th in interceptions. And if they're not sure they're going to have a truly dynamic offense again, which they didn't have last year, they need the defense to be as good as it was, but it needs to be a defense that, that helps score. And Forbes is that guy. He was that guy out of all the corners. He's the playmaker. He's the D'Angelo Hall of playmakers. Like, I was going to ask you specifically about D. Hall because you played with him. What's it like when you have a guy on defense? I mean, you're not a defensive player, but when you know there's a guy out there that's capable of multiple picks and even a score in a game, because they really haven't had that. Fuller's, you know, Fuller scored last year, but they really haven't had that. No, they haven't had it. it and D. Hall had it. Early when he came to Washington, you know, he had it coming out of college. He had it in in, in Atlanta. Well, he had the four pick game against Chicago. I did. Yeah. It, well, he wasn't Dion. I like Dion though. He's a, he's, a, he's a heck of a player. It's funny when you see it. No, I mean, she, we've talked about it with different guys out over the last ten years now, and it you just you you watch him make a couple plays, and then all of a sudden you're like. Wow, this kid has like three picks in three weeks, and I feel like the guys. I feel like they get on a roll, don't you? I almost feel like it's just a confidence. They, and that's what. But that's what Forbes has is he's jumping routes. He's he's aggressive. He's studying. He's taking risks. You can't make plays as as a DB without taking risks. I, I, I just there are very few guys that can just play it that pure especially with the rules the way they are, where you can't be hands-on and you can't grab or you can't pull. Like you got you to take risks to make plays. And so I think you got to play with a lot of confidence to take those risks. And that's what I see with Forbes. That's the thing I like about him the most. Playmaker takes risks. D. Hall, by the way, you know, he got here in 2008. Um, in Washington, from the time he arrived in Washington and started to play in Washington, over basically five and a half years, he had 23 interceptions, three returned for touchdown. He also had two fumbles returned for touchdown. And then, then you know, he was 31 and he stopped playing, got injured, and he just didn't – he only played like a total of 13 or 14 more games over the final four years of his career. Well, but, the last one was like this when he played safety against Seattle. Remember he played he, safety for a while. And he returned a punt. Remember in that game he returned a punt too? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, they haven't had that kind of DB – I mean, Sean was obviously that way. 
Um, but wow, I didn't even realize it. You he, know what's funny? What? Yeah, but like because you mentioned D Hall. Yeah, but Sean, it really helps when you have that guy with a good defense. Yeah, of course, and they have a good defense, and they have a good defense. And so when when you're we when I was playing with D Hall, did not have an excellent defense. No, nope. uh, I mean we did the first when Sean was there in 2005. It was an excellent defense. Greg Williams, yeah. But I, I, with Greg Williams, I don't know if we ever had that excellent defense. What's funny is if you're giving up 20 points a game, two turnovers change a game immediately. Completely, entirely change a game. Yeah. Uh, when you're holding them to punt, when you're forcing them to punt, and playing some field position, and you get turnovers. But give up 31 and two turnovers is like, I mean, we could have used four. <laughs> like, yeah, if you have a good defense, that guy is huge. The playmaker is big. Yeah, I mean... We didn't have that. I, I think that's why I probably don't have this fast recall of D'Angelo Hall's 23 interception. Look, do you know the game... Because right, we turned it out, like, we didn't have a great offense half the time, so he probably half the picks, we probably went three and out in the next position. The, well, the game that he had four interceptions in against the Bears, you guys won that game 17-14, to 14, and he had four I interceptions. I, I, I actually had a first down reception at the end of the game to steal it. And it was his pick six. He had a 92-yard interception return. I don't know if that was his third, fourth, or whatever that ended up winning the game. So you guys only scored 10 points on offense. Um, They were really good on defense, Kev. Huh? They were really good on defense. Who, the Bears were? (laughs) They probably weren't. I have no idea. I don't remember either. All right, so... Overall, you like Forbes because he's a playmaker, and I think that's what everybody kind of thinks. Uh, you see him on the outside. By the way, the the question um, or the comment that I made, you didn't uh, respond to, um, and maybe it was my fault. But do you agree that DBs and then the offensive line in particular are the toughest positions to evaluate? It's funny. I I don't think offensive line's that tough. You don't, but I for think us. If you, I don't, but for you, I think I think receiver is tough. I think anything on the outside is tough without knowing what you're trying to do, trying to accomplish. Like offensive, here's why offensive line is really most for the most part is easy. Like on a team that double teams, you're just doing math and you got to figure out what double teams go to who. But they they're like, there's two for this one and two for this one, and we're gonna cut off the backside with the last one. So what double team went where? <laughs> like, other than did they get movement on the double team? The pass protection stuff can be a little bit tricky at times. I don't know. Yeah, here, here's, why it's, here's why it's probably the hardest. Because no one gives a shit when they're watching football when you're, when you're 15 years old or 14 years old and you don't play offensive line. Yeah. No one cares. No one wants to hear Chris Collinsworth be like, wow, see, look at the footwork the guard had here to really, <laughs> like, shut up, Collinsworth. No one cares about the line play. Yeah. Like, it's got to be like a double pancake for me to give two craps about what a lineman does while I'm watching a game on TV. Man, we've got a big, we got to watch this guard defensive tackle matchup. It's going to be exhilarating. No, it's, it's boring, I, I would guess, for, for a lot of people. It's not for me. All right, let's uh, let's talk about Quan Martin right after these words from a few of our sponsors. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, Cooley is with us. Uh, he just broke down Emmanuel Forbes. That selection on Friday night, number 47 overall in the second round, they took Quan Martin. Jartavius is his first name. Uh, they call him Quan Martin uh, out of Illinois, kind of a corner slash safety. What did you make of him? Why do they call him Quan? I don't know. I have no idea. Sometimes I call you Kev because your first name's Kevin, and I just shorten it. Right. You know, I feel like it makes sense. I don't understand where Quan came from. Well, we'll find out. Maybe we actually have a somewhere. friend who has a little boy. And I think his name's like, it doesn't even matter. His name's like Steve. But every, everyone everyone calls him Ziggy. <laughs> calls him what? They, they all call him Ziggy. They all call him Ziggy. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, you know, but they're, his name's they're, not Ziggy. they're nicknames. Strange, like, yeah, they're nicknames. I know. I know. Yeah. All right. So yeah. what did what did you make of Quan? Old Quan. Old, old Quan. Jartavius. Did you? So did you see he jumped a 44-inch vertical? Yeah, I know. His ver- yeah, his vertical is 44, and his broad jump with, with, at the combine was something ridiculous, too. Yeah, he's got some big ups. Think he can dunk a little bit? I can't even, like, I've, maybe, with, maybe, like, one-handed. <laughs> with, with a smaller <laughs> ball. You know how high 44 inches put you over the rim? I know. 44 is ridiculous. I used to be able to dunk. I used to have... Like at least a thirty-four inch vertical. I have a one-inch vertical right now. <laughs> um, I could dunk. Uh, I high jumped my senior year in high school. What was the last year you could dunk? Um, 
I mean, I was probably in my late twenties, early thirties. I, I would I, I, before I started to really gain weight. Whenever that was, when, when I was a hundred, when I was six three and a buck eighty five, uh, that's when I could dunk, and I didn't have back issues. I although I started to develop back issues, and as you know because you've been there uh, when I've had back issues and talked about back issues with famous people. Um, Once that started and I started to have lower back issues, that was it. And then once I, I think once I got past like 200 pounds, that was it. Because it wasn't healthy weight. What muscle? No, it's harder when you carry that weight. All right, Quan. Quan, you're you're thrilled. You're thrilled about Quan. Um, I is this your favorite pick of the draft or what? Like, no, saying it, no. talking about it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm shuffling my papers. I don't know anything about Quan. I watched the highlight reel of Quan. He looked like he could play a little bit. Forbes, I remember very much, and watching um, him play, and I remember the kind of playmaker he was. So I kind of wanted him even before the draft, if they were going to draft a DB. And they were hell-bent, I think, on drafting a DB. Their first two picks were DBs. So I only care about what you think about Quan. Oh, that makes me, makes me really happy. I mean, Quan Martin's a guy that played a ton at Illinois. Right. Like, all over the place. He played safety a lot as a sophomore. He played star nickel corner. Um, throughout his last couple of years, he moves around wherever they need him. He makes plays for them wherever they need him. He, he's played a ton. Like He's one of those guys that played a lot as a freshman, played a lot every single year. Uh, like He's a guy that might be a safety the more I watch him. Yeah, I think that's what they're thinking. Yeah, no, it's, but it's, it's really interesting because reading a few things on Martin and you read like, you know, it'll be team specific on, on where they want to play him and and where they want to fit him, and it goes back to like the Antonio Gibson thing when they he was drafted, and you're like, okay, well, where are we going to – are you taking a guy in the second round just because you think he's going to be good somewhere, or do you have a role for him? Right. So I I like this pick, and I like a lot about Quan. If there's an actual role for him, if in their mind they're like, this is where this dude plays, we're not bringing him in to see if he can play – cornerback or star nickel and then if he can't then we'll slowly roll him into safety it's not Brandon Sheriff who we're going to draft as a tackle but oh, I mean right away now we can't but we, you know ultimately we knew he maybe it probably was a guard <laughs> yeah. like, you don't take those guys in the first second and most times the third round you take starters that could be starters that year because you have a position that you know they can fill yeah they have an idea for him. So I, they have an idea for him. I, I, I think they could play him at safety, and I, I, I would like him at safety. The reason I like him at safety, I, I think, and he's, he's fast. I mean, he's a four-four guy with huge vertical, but he's got really great hips in transition, and he's got really great mo- range when he's moving across the field and moving with some depth. So his what you'd call like red line to red line speed for a safety. Imaginary painted on red line five yards from the sideline. Yep. His red line to red line transition speed is really good, and he's really, really fluid in his hips. 
So through the middle of the field, he he could be in a straight backpedal, and his turn and pivot to run red line to red line is is exceptional athletic transition. Very, very good hips. I think he's a good block shutter. I think he's got a great downhill approach to run stopping. Uh, Screens, making tackles on the other side of the ball, like, it was Ken Fuller that used to do that all the time, right? Yeah, when he was yeah. Nickel. Fuller, Fuller yeah, has, he, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It is funny though, like the difference between a first round and second round pick. If you just want to look at screens, Stavius Martin actually makes a ton of TFLs on the other side of the ball on some of these screens. Emmanuel Forbes picks them off and takes them to the house. Right. <laughs> yeah, Martin. But, Martin no, makes lo- tackles and forces fumbles. Yeah, and and he's able to find the ball in the air wherever it is, and when it's bouncing around, it somehow seems to end at the dam. Right. Um, I think he's a physical player. Like you can see a lot with with Martin and like real physical approach, uh, fearless. Uh, get like a straight line approach to the ball. He will come out like a bullet. Uh, so uh, impressive there. I think he's got good ball reaction. He's able to undercut routes. I, I think he's a guy that could play in the slot, and and they do that, and they did that the last couple of years where they had three safeties on the field. But I think he's a guy that could come in and play nickel for you some, or in a dime package. I, I think he could play down, no problem, and, and be a slot player. I think he could be a single eye safety. A lot of ideas with Quest, but yeah, to me, good range, really, really good hips, physical player, uh, can shed blocks, and and pretty good reaction to ball in the air. Negatives, uh, man, he struggles a little bit when he gets beat. Like, when he's beat over the top, even talk about flipping hips, he's not making up a ton of speed. And I saw this four or five times, and sometimes I think about it like, not sometimes, this time I thought about it, like, when you watch a little kid running for a ball and their arms are in the air the entire time. <laughs> like, if you just run, you'll get there faster. Right. I don't. He's not up. He's not like arms in the air running. But there's something he's do. He's not running fast when he's beat. It's like he's looking for something or like, is there a ball coming? Uh, like, no, just run and catch up. You're gonna have to run as fast as you can to catch up. Yeah. So there's something lacking, especially when he's outside on on vertical stuff down the field. But my question would be is, is if you were a single high safety, does he track it and understand where the ball is really well? If he's got to run and find it, would be would be a question. Uh, I don't. I didn't love him in in tight press situations. I didn't love his hands in tight press situations. I don't love his ability to a mirror a route concept. Like I don't think he's a mirror corner. I'm like none of these things put him on the outside. Like one thing I'm sure he's not an outside corner. No. So I, I wrote any outside option about twenty minutes in, and then I wrote next to it no. Yeah, he's <laughs> not right now an I, outside option guy. And I didn't really read like after I watched it, I kind of go back and read it, and I was like, yeah, no, I can see like he could play safety. I, I could, I see that. I, I think, that. I think he's Bobby McCain's replacement. I think that's how they envision well, him. I think you know he's he covers well, the slot. He plays in the box a lot. You know, he's he, he, uh, there's a lot of zone coverage with the five DBs and their sub packages. 
And, you know, I I actually, and I think I'm alone on this, I thought Bobby McCain was really, was exactly what they liked. I mean, obviously they let him go and he's with the, with the Giants now, but I thought he was a good tackler at times. I thought he was really anticipated well. I thought he covered the slot pretty well. I thought he tackled well. I thought in the box as a run stopper, he was really active, not, you know, huge by any stretch. But I think that's what they saw in Martin, and they needed a replacement for McCain. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right. I think you got. I think you hit the nail right on the head. Well, I don't think that was you a big nail. See how he transitioned as far as speed goes. It, was, it wasn't a big nail. You're right. It was small. Like it took you some work. <laughs> You've been practicing. It was actually it was a big nail. It was very obvious. The nail was very obvious and easy to hit. <laughs> uh, small would indicate that it was you know harder to come up with that. No, but okay. I, I I think okay. McCain, McCain isn't there. McCain was a guy that I know Del Rio liked, and they got a guy that kind of looks like Bobby McCain when you watch him on tape. I I, I like him. I thought they should have just taken. Quarterback, make it exciting. Pick <laughs> Levis. Yeah, he's the one that drops. Man, they, they they really. What do you think got him? The step, the fact that he wasn't great with his teammates. I don't know. I think all that stuff is the stuff we don't know, and it's so important. I think it helps. By the way, I think it helps a lot of players. Like the next guy, I'm going to ask you to look at the the third round pick, which uh, Ricky Stromberg the center out of Arkansas, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, they way overdrafted him. But I think, you know, they're the ones that sit down and they know what they're getting in the guy. And in some cases, these interviews really hurt players. And in other instances, it really elevates players. Like, oh, I want him as a part of this team. You know, he can play the position and he's coachable. I think there's a lot of that going on now. What do you think? I think there's a t- I think there's always been a lot of that going on. And I... I- I should never. I shouldn't say I have any problem with it because that's what Joe did when I was drafted. Although I still thought I was going to be drafted by the third round, so I don't think I was like a huge stretch. Well, what did you? I don't know if I'd give away a second for a tight end. What did um, what did Joe what did Joe see in you? What did Joe see in you in that interview that made him want you? I, I think it was that he wanted what I was as an H back. I did what I did in the NFL at Utah State. Right. So I moved around. I motioned. I, that Joe saw Clint Didier. So I think that's what he wanted. Um, but yeah, I, so to, but to answer your question about Ricky Stromberg, who sounds like the coach of the North Carolina Tar Hills women's softball team, but that's Ricky Strasburg. So I got confused for a second. Um, I don't think you reach as far as position in the draft if he's a way later pick. I don't think you reach till the fourth round. I think, or because you get to all those late third round picks, right? And the extra third round picks, and that's where you start to feel. I think anything before you get to the comp picks has quite a bit of value. Well, that was a comp that you draft value. Yeah. That was the Brandon Sheriff okay, comp so. pick. Yeah. At the end of the third round. Go. So, I mean, once you get to the end of the third round, the comp pick, you're fine. 
Sorry, I didn't watch. I, I just saw the draft. I didn't see the. I didn't watch Friday night. Did you watch the? Did you watch Friday night? Yeah, I, I watched a lot of it. It was, we had shitty weather here the entire weekend. By the way, I am looking at your draft profile. I don't know that I've ever looked at this before. Your 2004 draft profile, your pro day results, and your combine results. So I'm going to ask cool. you. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Do you know what your vertical jump was at the combine? Thirty-three and a half. Thirty-three. Do you know what it was on your pro day? Thirty-five. Some. Thirty-five and a half. You had a good day. Look, it's no Quan Martin, that's for sure. But thirty-five and a half inch. I can tell you Vertical's I, a I good can, vertical. Yeah, no, it is a good. I, it is a good vertical. Yeah. I, I can tell you why my combine stats were worse than my pro day. I think you've told me this. I, I've told you this story. Yeah. What happened again? My agent thought that people were really going to think that I needed to be able to be a blocking tight end and that I, at 245 or 248, I wasn't big enough to do that and I wasn't physical enough to do that. And so he's like, what we're going to do is we're just going to sodium load before you go to the combine. I mean, you'll be so strong. And I was strong. I was really strong before I went to the combine. But I weighed about 252. And I showed up. I ate like so much salt for three days before the combine. And I showed up like a fucking balloon. Oh. <laughs> like, we'll find my picture on the combine and just like, I, I, I couldn't move. Like, and the salt wouldn't leave me. <laughs> Well, it says you, it says you weighed uh, two sixty five. I weighed in, in at two sixty five. Yeah, that's what it says. Two sixty five. I I know my pro day. I weighed two forty six. We put two and a half. We taped two and a half pound weights to the inner my inner thighs because my strength coach at Utah State was like, they're gonna think it's super weird that you're twenty pounds less three weeks later. I'm like I know, but so we taped an extra five pounds to the inside of my thighs. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. On you when you stepped on the scale. Yeah. Yeah, because it says your pro day you weighed in at two sixty five. Also. No, that was wrong. That's wrong. Do you know what your forty? You do you know wrong. what your forty time was combined versus pro pro day? My pro day was like four six eight. It says four seven four here. Mm, that might be true. My combine was four eight. My pro day was better than that. I, like at least a few people had me in the four sixes. I remember that. Yeah, your forty at the combine was four eight one. Um, four eight zero, oh, four eight zero. Oh. Yeah, you know how many? Two, I know that. You know how many two hundred and twenty five pound bench reps you did at the combine? Probably like 23, 22, 23, 24. 22, Yeah, that was a bad showing for me. I was up to like twenty five. Um, but but Gibbs loved oh, the way you – Gibbs saw you as a perfect fit as an H-back. Me too, yeah. That was – that's what I was always told. Because it was it was Sean – or it was Kellen Winslow or me, and then Gibbs was super frustrated as we were get, they were getting in the third round. I've been told this story. And then they traded up, and everyone was like, see, you got your H-back. We got him for you. You got your H-back, Joe. Well, you know the story about Winslow and Sean, right? It's the it's the Clinton Portis story. Portis said that 
you know, he had just gotten there in, in the trade for, for Champ Bailey, and Joe was hell-bent on drafting Kellen Winslow Jr., the organization was, and they liked Sean Taylor, and Kurt, and Clinton got wind of it and went to Joe and said, you got to draft Sean Taylor. And he said, well, I, I need more help on offense, and it'll help you too on offense with Winslow Jr. And he said, he said if you want more offense, then draft Sean Taylor. <laughs> And that's what he did. Yeah, so thank, thank God, thank God that happened, because without Clinton telling Joe that and convincing him of that, you would never have been drafted by this team. I, yeah, I know. I, I think in some respects, I've at times heard from Clinton though that he's like, "Oh yeah, now draft that tight end from Utah State. That'll be perfect." <laughs> like Clinton was. Well, Clinton Clinton knows a lot about college football, watches a lot of it. I don't know if he was watching that much of it then, but um, there's no doubt that, it, you know, he – like, I, I think Joe's pretty much confirmed this before, that, you know, it was going to be Winslow Jr., but it was, it was not only um, Clinton, but it was uh, somebody else from Miami on the team that went to him. I'm forgetting now who it was, but whatever. Um and then you got picked in the uh, third round. They tra- they traded up into the third round to take you. They traded up with the same. Uh, your phone's breaking up. Hang on. I got you. Hey, no, that was told by Hazlitt. Uh, way down the line. Uh, they made a trade in the front office. I was drafting you with the pick. It's the very same pick. And right when they made the trade, I yelled, don't do it. That's our guy. They're going to take him. And then Joe took me. Oh, Hazlitt was coaching New Orleans? Yeah. Huh. And what he told me was that he would have taken me of that pick. And I told a friend the other day, and I really didn't think about this ever, even after he told me that. But I probably would have like 800 receptions playing with Drew Brees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like I'm thankful to have played for Joe Gibbs and and met Joe and, and been a part of Washington, but God, I mean Drew Brees, Peyton, I got him. I would have had a million catches. Oh my God! I mean, we've your first balloter. We we've talked about this so many times about if you had played like in Indy with Peyton, you know, and the tight ends that he had, you were better than his tight ends. Um, and I'm trying to think of who were the tight ends with with Brees for for most of the time. Uh, in oh, Orleans. Graham had a few really good years, and that was about the only one that had a great career with Brees. It's Jimmy Graham. Yeah. Well, they and, and by the way, they would have loved you in New Orleans. Uh, who that? Cooley. Maybe. Um, <laughs> you would have had a lot to do. There would have been plenty to do playing in New Orleans. All right, uh, so you over- well, we went to uh, Come on. we were talking about draft, and I was for some reason thinking about maybe they wouldn't have liked me, like when Parcells just thought it was terrible. Right. But we actually went and pulled into someone's house here out here in Wyoming, and it, 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 that their name isn't Parcells, but on the they had a big wood carving that said Parcells. So I we asked the guy if Bill was home, and he said he wasn't. <laughs> he didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Maybe they have a bill. Maybe. Bill Parcells still crushes my confidence in how how I was as a player. You know, I'm looking to see 
the Saints did not draft a tight end that year. They did draft uh, a receiver, Devery Henderson. There wasn't much. There was not much after me. And, and I, I mean, like I, I was probably the best in that class. Ben Watson had an okay career. Kellen was decent at first before he went off the deep end. Uh, I don't now. Ben Troop did some things. Ben Troop played for a long time. It was never great. I was probably the most productive of the class. Chris Wilson was picked before you. Yeah, Ben Hartstock. Chiefs. I, ben Hartstock was all, uh, exclusively a blocking tight end. Played for the Colts. Drafted by yeah, the Colts. Yeah, I remember. And yeah, and then after you, there were tight ends drafted, but nobody was very good. Yeah, you were easily the best tight end of that cat of that draft by far. I mean, the um, I'm looking. Not at, often Joe Gibbs is wrong. I'm just. I mean, there was nobody. I mean, nobody I've ever heard of after you were picked. Tim Ewis, Sean Ryan, Mark Wilson, Ryan Krause, Nate Laurie, Matt Kranchak, Jeff Dugan. He was he played for Maryland. Um, Michael Gaines, Eric Jensen, and Courtney Anderson. I remember all of them. Yeah. Uh, what I about, really do. What, I what about UFAs? Were there any undrafted free agents that turned out to be anything in 2004? I, I don't. I never looked that up. I probably remember the names. Yep. I all do right. remember there was a kid in our class, like from Arkansas, that came out early as a junior and went undrafted. I was like, well, that's stupid. Shouldn't have done that at all. Well, all right. Fun times. All right, fun time. So you'll do um, the next two players and let me know when you're ready to do it. Yeah, let's plan two weeks from next Tuesday. (laughs) See ya. Thanks for doing this. Bye. All right, there you go. Cooley on their first two picks. Uh, Done for the day. Back tomorrow with Tommy. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.